thank you for being here today. I don't know what to call you except Christians <laughs> who curse sometimes. <laughs> you can call me Mike. I go by Mike. Okay, Mike, yeah. <laughs> thank you for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. So you are, I'm going to go over your following here. You have <laughs> 104,000 Instagram followers. Mm -hmm. You average 2.5 million impressions per week. You average 75,000 content interactions per week. Mm -hmm. what, what year did you get started and how did that growth happen? It's, you know, it's funny. It's fairly new. Cause I mean, this page is still kind of a baby to me. It's, it's under two years old. And for the first, you know, six to six months to a year, it was almost nothing. So it kind of took off out of nowhere. And it was kind of something I created out of complete boredom. I just thought like this would be a great account name. I didn't really know what it was going to be. And then I just started making some like funny, real Christian content because I noticed there was really not a place out there. You know, a lot of the other Christian content creators had this expectation of perfectionism that mm -hmm. I really didn't like where it was, you know, a picture of, I like to use the example of like an Olympic runner. And it says like running towards God's love. Like, like, that's not how easy it is. Like, that's not what the Christian life is really like. So I started just kind of making stuff that was like real nitty gritty, just like what the real Christian life is like. And it was going nowhere for a long time, which is funny. Like I, I made this page, didn't expect it to ever turn into anything. I assumed no Christian would ever share anything on the page because of the name. I assume no one in ministry would ever even give it a second glance because of the name. So the fact that it's grown into what it is today is still very surprising to me. Well, it's very real. And mm -hmm. I also think it's very well done. So thank you. Do you have a tell us a little bit about your your background? So or me personally, it's so funny because I'm one of those people who I guess I can say it this way. I was avoiding ministry my whole life. And I worked in entertainment for a long time. I worked with some pretty well-known um, celebrities. I did some very public jobs that were fun, but I really wasn't finding fulfillment in them. And all throughout that, I was doing a lot of volunteering with youth ministries and young adult ministries and doing those sorts of things. But I told myself I would never work for a church. I found once you get hired by a church, you're very constricted to their, it's almost like being like creatively in a box that feels really, really too small. And I didn't like that because I believe that Christians need to be exposed to other ideas. I think, you know, there's the whole thing of when you know the truth, the truth will stand up. So when churches get scared of like other opinions or pushing the boundaries or things like that, I didn't like that because that's what makes people feel more solid in their faith when you challenge them more. So I found that a lot of the churches that were pursuing me to work for them just didn't, weren't willing, like you have to teach our denomination. You have to talk about what our denomination believes and there's no room for anything else. And I really didn't like that. So I really just kind of avoided ministry for my whole life. And then when this page kind of started blowing up and it kind of like, I wasn't expecting to have kind of what the stories became where it, where, you know, people are sharing and it's becoming, you know, a place where people can build their faith. I never thought that would happen. So the fact that it has, and I've been avoiding ministry my whole life. And here I am in my thirties now doing, I guess what you can call a form of ministry is still just like blows my mind. <laughs> so Okay. Did you grow up in a, in a Christian home? Do you come from a ministry back? I, I mean, neither of my parents were in ministry, but I grew up in 
um, a Christian home where literally every single person in my life was a Christian. Every single one of my aunts and uncles at the time were Christians on both sides of my family. So I was just surrounded by faith, which for a lot of people sounds great, but it's a rose. It's also a thorn. So when you're raised in an environment where you're not challenged, you, I became the person that I hated. I knew all the right things to say to get the Sunday school teacher off my back, to get the youth leader off my back, to get the pastor off my back. And I never actually really understood what I believed. So when people ask me why I believed certain things as an adult, I actually had no answer. And that was embarrassing. The first moment I remember that kind of happening was I was working a job and a guy came up to me and he said, hey, I heard you're a Christian. That means you hate gay people, right? And I was like, well, no, of course it doesn't mean that. He goes, well, what are you talking about? Doesn't the Bible talk about like that people can't be gay? And I was like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what the Bible actually legitimately says. And that was really kind of embarrassing. So it really took me back and made me look at what the Bible says on all these types of issues and really changed my faith. And I wish I had more people in my life who challenged me with different perspectives. So I would have uh, had to look that up earlier in my life. Well, and you do not necessarily what I consider challenge people on social media either. It is a safe place for them to bring their questions or their concerns. And then you just like put it back out there for others to comment. So it, to me, when, when I engage in your social media, it's just very eye-opening to see what others think, what others believe, their stance on things. And I like how you, how you do enlighten them if they, if they. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's so fascinating to me because, you know, at, at its face, the church should be a place where people should feel completely free to bring what they're struggling with to to anyone, to talk about it, to search for guidance, but it's not there right now. And it's not even like there's there's a denomination or a, a part of Christianity where everybody feels comfortable being completely open. But that's where the church should be. It should be a place where you can ask questions, where you can seek guidance. And it's so crazy to me how often people come to me and they're like, man, I struggle with this one thing and there's nobody I can ask about it. And when, and I always tell them to go to their church, to their church family, to their pastor. They're like, man, I don't even feel comfortable talking to my pastor about this. And that makes me feel really sad because, you know, it's personal, but it's also societal. Like, like personally, we should feel comfortable bringing what we struggle with to seek guidance, whether that means friendship, relationship, mentorship, whatever that means, or even going to a therapist. But the fact that people live in this shame, even being surrounded by Christians is something that was completely heartbreaking to me. So by opening up, you know, I do a lot of things where I ask people like, just tell me your secret. Like, what have you never told Mm -hmm. anybody? And those are things where my inbox just explodes with content. Like people just tell me these things that they've never told anybody in their life. And it's so hard to read because it's so many things where I want to message all these thousands and thousands of people and be like, can we go get a coffee sometime? Because I would love to hear more about about this and why you feel like you can't talk to people about this. Because it's like... Also, the sad thing is a lot of them are so similar. Like if these people just told each other, they could help each other. Mm -hmm. And that is why I kind of did this thing where, you know, I post something and let people help each other in community because I realized like all these people 
generally have the same struggles. They're just afraid to talk to each other about it. Mm-hmm. But, but it's people sitting in the pew right next to you in your own church. Well, a, a couple of things. I think one, a Christian perhaps has been taught that they have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And if you think you, you are perfect, you think everyone else is perfect. And so you're judging your, yourself against them. And so it's hard to confide in someone when you have that, that stigma that if, if you bear your, your faults and your errors and your sins before anyone else, oh my, you are the lesser, you are, you, you are the condemned, you are this, absolutely the, the, the sinner. And I think we have to break free from that. We need open truth in, in all all areas. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is something where I wish people could see kind of the behind the scenes from my perspective too, because one of the most incredible things that happened that not a lot of people know about is I did a topic probably last year about, about mental health and just said like, what are you struggling with with mental health and let people kind of share. So I posted this, this young guy, probably 19 or 20 wrote this beautiful thing about what it's like to be a Christian with anxiety and depression in Mm -hmm. his church. And he wrote this beautiful story that was really well-worded and showed like, he goes, I want help. I'm working towards it, all this stuff. So I posted it. And this older guy, probably in his thirties reached out and said like, oh my gosh, you know, I read this and I just resonated it with, I resonated with it so much. I want to post this on, on my story. Do you mind if I do that? Do you want me to tag you? And normally people don't ask, but I told him, I was like, yeah, go, go right ahead. I think it's a beautiful story too. So he posted on his story, not knowing that the original poster goes to church with him totally by coincidence. So the original poster sees this guy in his church sharing his story where it literally says like, wow, I I just saw the story on Christians who curse sometimes and it really changed my life. And it was somebody who's literally in church with him every Sunday that they just hadn't connected deeply. So they started messaging, went out for coffee, and now they've got this beautiful relationship where they're talking about this more openly. And it's like, they've been sitting there together the whole time. And just have not taken that step to open up. And if they had, they could have connected so much sooner. And they're both so grateful that, that they found each other, but it was just such a crazy coincidence. Well, let, let's talk about this anonymity that you have going on. Mm-hmm. People, people want to know who you are. You don't, you don't let anyone know who you are on, on the account. What can you tell us about yourself? Well, I mean, what what I do tell people is I'm in my 30s. I'm a father. I'm a father of two and a husband. So I, I like to share kind of that. I also work in social media. I'm a social media professional outside of this page. But, the, you know, the reason for the anonymity, when I started it, the anonymity was initially because of like the, I guess, the edginess of the page. You know, I was doing something that was going to rub people the wrong way, that was going to start conversations, that sort of thing. And as it started growing and I started doing these topics, like these are all things that people want to talk about. And one of the reasons for my anonymity is I want to be able to turn it on and off in my life. Like if every single person in my life knew that I ran this page, I feel like I would be getting texts all day like, oh my gosh, you know, I saw this story you did. I saw that. I saw that. And I have to save my mental health. I have to be able to kind of keep it on and off, talk about it when I can turn it off because otherwise I'm going to be talking about controversial topics all day when I'm like out with friends and just want to like recharge. And 
if, if I'm completely open with everybody, I worry that I might lose that opportunity to recharge. The other reason I like to stay anonymous is we live in an age where people make a lot of assumptions. People make a lot of assumptions of bias by like who you are, what you know, how old you are, where you are in life, where you live. And I want my page to be a safe place where people can just read things and not worry about who it's from, that sort of thing. You know, like when I post people's opinions, sometimes it's this beautifully written thing that can change someone's life, but it was written by like an 18 year old college guy. Mm -hmm. And if they knew it was an 18 year old college guy, they might not take it as seriously when his words have just as much value in changing someone's story. So when you see those things, you don't think about who's behind it. You just read it for what it is. And I think I think of myself that way too. I want people to read what I'm posting with a blank slate without thinking like, well, he's only saying that because he's married. Like he couldn't possibly know what it's like to ABC, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So it helps people be more receptive when they just read words at face value and read opinions at face value because we've been so consumed in this society with figuring out ulterior motives and those sorts of things that I don't want that kind of nastiness, I guess, associated with my page. I want everyone else to feel that way too. That's why I tend to not say like, this was sent in by a man or a woman or someone older or younger. I just post it. And it's incredible the power some of these words can have that it can lose if you knew who sent it in. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So how many people do you have on your team now? Oh, it's just me. It's just it's you all me. doing all this. Yep. Mm -hmm. I so, mean, I have a lot of people who volunteer, which, and I, I, they are all incredible people, but they all um, just kind of do it in their free time. Like since launching our website, I have a guy who does editing for me, who's just what, like an absolutely fantastic human who just like has a great mind and a great passion. And he just says like, I, I love what you're doing and I want to help. And I want to get to a point where I can build a team, but I'm just not at that point yet. And that's okay. And, you know, I'm trying to balance, you know, like I said, the humor and the seriousness with my life. And that's also a big part of why it's anonymous is because I want to be able to control my time in, in this sort of uh, brand that I've built too. Mm -hmm. For those who are interested in, you know, Instagram growth and for certain churches and ministries would love to hear about your Instagram growth and how, how you achieved it, even though a lot of it was just raw honesty and you saw a need and filled it. And I think that's number one, you have your niche, you have to know what your niche is. But so you've scaled, you you have a website now, you offer products, you do workshops, you mm -hmm. even extend resources for, you know, help others develop their church media. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about your background. You said you were in social media. Are you a graphic designer? Or what no, do you do? I I like when I say social media, I mean, social mm -hmm. media, like I, I okay. teach people how to do Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all those kind of things better. You know, I talk to influencers who basically say like, Hey, I've grown and it feels like no one cares about me anymore, mm -hmm. or I've grown, but I'm just not making money. I would love to make money doing this. How do I do that? That sort of thing, because most people get so caught up in their own brand, whether that's a business or themselves that they don't have that outside perspective and everybody around them are just yes men. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when your brand is yourself or it's your business, it's hard for someone you love to come in and say like, hey, 
you've been like, your stuff's not doing that well anymore. And I think it's because this, that, and the other reason it's hard to do that for people. So I tend to be that outside perspective that comes in and says like, Hey, listen, let's just talk about the data. Let's look at this. Let's see what some new opportunities for you and how you can grow. And I'm someone who just follows all the trends on, like I said, Instagram, TikTok, all those things just Mm -hmm. follows them so that when people need advice, I'm kind of knowledgeable that I can help them along. I also manage brands completely. There are some brands that I do, like I do everything for them, but Mm -hmm. I love doing more of the coaching and teaching aspect of it too, especially to churches because churches struggle so hard with social media. And to, to be frank, it's not that hard to, to do some small tweaks that make a huge difference. Like, give us some example of tweaks that you know are needed. I mean, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, they're all free. And that's why like, it's such a low risk thing, but so many churches are scared of interactivity. And I don't know why, because Instagram is, is working so hard to be more interactive. And I rarely see churches using their interactive features. They offer polls, question boxes, quizzes, all these things at your disposal that nobody's using. I mean, I, I, I don't know a specific number, but most churches just use Instagram as like a placeholder. Like they use it as like, we'll remind people about events, we'll remind people what time our services are, but that's it. Mm-hmm. When, you know, you could post like, hey, what did you think about the sermon today? Do you struggle with like, you know, if, like if, if the sermon, you know, recently our church talked about friendships and how hard those are, mm-hmm. you know, hey, for those of you who heard the sermon this morning, do you struggle with friendships? Yes or no? And let people interact because when people feel interacted, they feel heard, they feel part of a community and it's just going to help your church. Cause also, I mean, from a pure numbers standpoint, using those interactive features ups where you are in the algorithm and helps people see your content more. So if people just take those tiny steps of using those features also, I mean, TikTok is huge because you can upload, you know, a 30 second or, or a 60 second clip of one of your sermons and it can blow up viral in 24 hours and you can have, you know, 20,000 followers overnight. It's just crazy how it works, but churches tend to come from a standpoint of fear. They're scared of new technology. And I've never understood the the thought process behind that because I think it's very harmful. Like if evangelism is at the forefront of new technology, we can change the world so easily. I tell people all the time, one of the sad truths is one industry that is incredible at monetizing and being uh, at the forefront of new technology is pornography. They are first to the market, they make a ton of money doing it, and they do a a high quality job of getting people to what they want. And Mm -hmm. the last people there are churches. And that is really heartbreaking because if churches were there and at the forefront and trying new things and experimenting, we could have such a huge difference in people, but I just don't see it. No. And, and I agree with you. And I've had discussions about that interaction with ministries and churches and they do. I don't know that they, I don't want to use the word fear, but they are concerned. They do now let me let me back up a little bit it is almost a tradition that you do not want comments i you know the comment boxes that used to be in a in a foyer you know pastors would pull them out because they they did not want that critique they didn't necessarily want people's opinions of them but, but why is that is my well, question well 
I think because there is a culture where you have a lead pastor and his vision is is the dominant vision of the church. And mm-hmm. I, I think you would not want someone to sway that by their input. It's like, okay, this is the this is the direction that we're supposed to go. And if I take into consideration what you're asking of me, then I am I'm going against I'm going against the vision. So I, I think we need to break through that. And I think I've always thought religion is a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that relationship aspect is very much missing. I, th- I think we're, we're making some headway, but um, I appreciate you kind of breaking ground in that. Yeah. Cause the, like what I believe is churches should absolutely be a community. And one of the hard things about community is we have to support each other when bad things happen. And sometimes that means that, you know, Karen in the back row is really upset with the sermon. She really didn't like that, that it didn't feel biblical to her. And it's not to say that we should hear her opinion and change everything for that one person, but sometimes you just need to hear those people and they just want to feel listened to. I don't get hate messages as as much as people would think, but I have figured out that almost, I don't want to say all, I wish I could say all, because I think it's all, but I'll say nearly every single message I get has some reason behind it that that person is hurt. And I I had somebody upset one time that I was posting secular music. Like there was something that had a secular song in it. And he sent me this whole thing saying, this is awful. Um, I can't believe you would promote something with such an awful message behind it. You know, that sort of thing. I mean, I get that that is a controversial thing, but instead of reacting to him with, you know, anger or saying you're wrong or something like that, if you just ask questions, like I said, why do you feel that way? He started sharing with me that when he was younger, like preteen, teen, he really struggled with music because it affected him personally. Like he goes, he would hear songs about, you know, drugs and gangs, stuff like that, and Google them. And it actually really hurt him. It had a big impact on him. So you learn that behind that kind of, that initial angry reaction, there's some hurt back there that that is totally valid. And we're at a point in society now where we don't take the time to hear that. We see an angry comment or we see somebody freaking out, you know, in a viral video, and we don't take the time to understand why. We just point the finger and say, they're awful, they're overreacting, when guaranteed there's a reason that that happened. It may be valid, it may not be valid, but when you figure out what that reason is, dig in a little bit, learn to get to know that person, they feel listened to, they feel heard, and usually they they back off a little bit and think, maybe I overreacted, I understand, that sort of thing. I don't think I've ever had a single person who's come at me angry with something that's left angry. In fact, the one thing I've done multiple times is when people come at me angry, I offer them a spot to write for my website. I say like, you clearly have strong feelings about this. I would love to publish something on my website, like about your feelings. Cause someone who's that passionate, I want that kind of passion. I said, back it up with scripture. Let me hear what you got. And a few people have taken me up on that and sent me stuff. And I think it's a, a beautiful thing when, when, you know, you can come together to make somebody feel heard. You do cover controversial topics. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do you <laughs> how do you <clears throat> how do you choose what topics you're going to cover, and why why do you cover them? I try to 
I try my best to be a mirror to the people who are following me. You know, I look at the messages that are coming in, the problems people are sending me, the things they want advice on, and I'm trying to accurately reflect that. If I get a lot of questions on a certain topic, we'll have that topic come up more often or something similar. Like I'll tell you, I get a lot of questions about sex and relationships. That's a very common topic that, that people have a lot of questions about. That's why I do a lot of Q and A's on that where you know, it got to a point where I was like, I think it would be beneficial to have an expert kind of on my side answering questions. So that's something that comes up a lot. People have a lot of questions about mental health, about the LGBT community and how the church should handle that about politics, about sex and relationships. Those topics come up a lot and I just want to put back out there what's coming into me. I'm, I I try my best to be unbiased in this whole thing too. I obviously have my personal beliefs with a lot, with a lot of these things, but mm-hmm. it's really hard to step back and kind of look at what society's like because we live in a world where social media algorithms figure out what we want and what's going to give us the most positive experience when we log in. And unfortunately, that's usually a bunch of people patting you on the back, telling you you're right. Um, when there are a variety of beautiful opinions out there that could challenge us to be stronger people. So it's interesting because I try to post when someone brings a topic, I try to post um, a good reflection of what I get back. Like if you know, 90% of the people are sending me stuff that's all affirmative of whatever it is, and 10 people are negative. I try to show that. I try to do, you know, four that are affirmative, one that's negative, and let people agree or, or disagree and have those conversations and feel like they're interacting. So I try to re- reflect that. It's definitely difficult because sometimes I read things that I feel are problematic. But I also realize that that's a great education tool because people need to learn how to have conversations with people who have differing opinions to them. And if they never see those opinions, we will never know how to back up what we believe in or how to talk with people other than shutting them down. So a lot of times people tell me, I've never thought about that before. I've never seen this opinion before. And to me, it's commonplace. Like I've grown up with that opinion. I've heard it all around me. And it's shocking to me that somebody wouldn't hear it, but I'm becoming less and less shocked because that's the um, society we live in and with how media works. What is the most controversial subject with the most comments and the most, not aggression, but differing sides that you've ever covered? I will be very honest. The topics that are more hot button, most people, I'll I'll give you the most controversial one in a second, Mm -hmm. but most people are okay. Most people are fine reading both sides of the debate. It's about 5% of people from either side that get very, very angry. The one where I see that come up a lot is in the LGBT discussions. Some Mm -hmm. people, like I said, 95% of people are able to read it. They realize people think differently from them. They're able to have those conversations. But there's about 2.5% on both sides that are just unwilling to hear and accept what other people have to say. And there's not one side that's better than the other. They both get very angry that the other side exists and that people would believe that. And they're both very clear with me that they think that way. Now, the one topic that I have found that is the most split down the middle 50-50 with Christians is masturbation. Mm-hmm. I've done that topic a couple times. And it, it basically the, the question is, do you believe without lust and pornography that the act of masturbation is sinful? And 
no matter how many times I do that discussion, I always put the poll up there and ask the question like that. It is always exactly 50-50. I haven't had any topic, any other topic that is that drawn right down the middle. Usually some are 60-40 or things like that, but that's one that's right down the middle every single time. It's 49-51, 50-50, which really, really surprised me. Why do you think churches shy away from covering these topics? I don't know. I, th- I think there's a, a fear of young ears that, that there's kind of a protecting the innocence kind of thing with children that keeps it off of the pulpit on Sundays. You know, the thing that's fascinating to me is, especially on the topic of sex, you know, that's something that is all over the Bible. There's a whole book of the Bible about it. And, but the message, at least I got growing up and I know a lot of other people did was like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then when you're married, go nuts. And that's really the extent of sex education from the church. You know, I do Q and A's every couple of weeks with Dr. Corey of Sexy Marriage Radio. I have the I guess, blessing and curse of seeing all the questions that come in for him because I kind of filter them, send them over to him. He answers them and then I post them. And And, and these are, I'm sorry, these are coming from married Christians, right? Yes, from from married Christians, but also engaged Christians who have concerns Mm -hmm. about when they are married um, or single Christians who have concerns, but most from married Christians. And, you know, you get um, questions that are sometimes very basic. Like I've honestly even gotten the question, how do how does a couple have sex from adults mm-hmm. where they just don't know how biologically it works? And you know, you you get things that are like, is it sinful to do anything other than the missionary position? Mm-hmm. And you know, you, you get things that are like that, or like, how do we do things that are other than the missionary position? I didn't know things like that existed. And you know, people come because they have these issues in marriage when there's they're not educated about some of these issues and they have something come up in their marriage. It's shocking. It's surprising. They don't know what to do, but, but even more of a big deal is that they don't know who to ask. They don't feel comfortable going to their pastor. They don't feel comfortable going to their friends. They don't feel comfortable going to their mom or dad or sisters. So who do they go to when they have this thing that feels so shameful? And I think to lead the way on that, the church needs to make sex a less shameful thing because there's nothing in the Bible that says sex is shameful. In fact, it uses opposite language. It says how beautiful it is, how God created it, how it's it's a beautiful gift. But unfortunately, people get so shrouded in shame with it that they don't know what to do. So they internalize and things can get worse. Or they do not know how to teach that from the pulpit. Yes. And also, you know, I... I'm sure that you would not be too happy if if reactions from your followers that half of them unfollowed you because you said something. And I, I think there is always that concern in a in a pastor's mind as, okay, if I say the wrong thing and you disagree with me, you're not going to come back to church. Yeah, but if pastors are so concerned about what people think, then they're probably in the wrong job. Like the, the, that's what I thought. Like, like their job is to teach the Bible. And if people are going to be fighting them on w- what's in the Bible, then I, the, to me, that's a whole nother issue. Because if, if you're trying to, you know, lead people to Christ and do that biblically, but you like, we can't please the whole world. You know what I mean? Like you can't please everybody. So when you try to please everybody, you can end up upsetting people. So there has to be a delicate balance of leading scripturally while also, you know, being smart about it and providing resources and doing it in a way that people have some sort of practicality to it. You know what I mean? Right. 
or they may be uncomfortable themselves with it. They may yeah, not absolutely. Know. They may not know how to approach it. They may not know how to to teach it. So, and I don't know. I, I did ask a while ago, I, I said, when I was doing one of the sex Q&As, I said, do you believe your church did a good job teaching you about sex? And 95% of people said no. 95. That's a huge number to me of people who say their churches aren't doing a good job. And that's, I, I can't say what the answer is. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the answer is, but that shows that it should be something that's addressed. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about matchmaking. How did you get into that? <laughs> You know, it's so funny because it, it it's another one of those things that kind of fell into my lap. A bunch of like female followers all like would message me and be like, oh my gosh, I would love to date some, I would love to find a guy who follows your page because I feel like all the Christians here are real. You know, people kept saying that, women and men, they're like, oh my gosh, I would love to find somebody. So way early in my following, I posted some, I decided to do the Christian bachelor. And I said, I'm looking for a guy who's okay being featured on my page that women can like apply to meet that sort of thing. And you guys vote and who stays or who goes, I tried to make it a fun kind of casual thing. And this guy named Luke applied. He was a, he's a great guy. You know, I got to, to know him a little bit through this process and he and I just had a blast doing it. So we went through that and then he met this girl that ended up not working out, but they had a, a, a great friendship. We just kind of did it for fun. But then everyone said, oh my gosh, do it again, do it again. I want to meet somebody. Can you post somebody from Maine, California, Washington, Germany, UK? Like I heard all these people were coming saying, I want someone in my area. So it kind of grew into now what we do is the being single, being single weekend where I just feature singles for, for a weekend and say, hey, if you want to get to know them, message me. And those weekends are always insane. And, and it always drives my knife, my wife nuts because I'm always on there doing actual matchmaking because these people tell me a little bit about themselves privately. They tell me what they're looking for. And I kind of look through all the people who come in and try to find those people who are a good match for them. And I send them a couple options. They say if they're willing to get to know that person. And then I pair them up. And the success rate has been surprisingly high. We don't have any engagements yet, but from what I understand, I think some of them are getting there, which is crazy to think. But yeah, that kind of happened to now it's kind of a monthly thing. But the other thing that's important with matchmaking is we also do friend matchmaking, which even gets bigger because there's so many people who as Christians in dating and in friendships, you feel like you're pool of choice is so small because you want someone of a similar faith that you you can be yourself with. So like when you want to make a friend or want to start dating, you feel like you're already starting at a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying my best to get rid of that because a a lot of people say like, oh my gosh, I just moved to San Diego. I don't know, a single person here. I would love to meet people. So then I post them and then they tell me their interests and then people message and I hook them up and it started some cool friendships too. Because I don't like everything to be about dating relationships. There's more relationships to life than just dating, but that's kind of how that came up. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that there are a lot of lonely Christians? Yes. But here's the crazy thing. I've talked, I've done the topic of friendship a lot and even people who are surrounded by friends still feel lonely. And I, from what I've seen, 
they're craving that that deep kind of intimate friendship. Everybody wants that like best friend from the movies that you can like text all the time and just hang out with and just be on the same page and just like walk in their door whenever you want. You know, every, everybody kind of wants that friendship. But when you take the steps to get there, what what I've learned is I'm somebody personally who I have a lot of shallow friendships with a lot of people. I struggle personally with with making deep friendships. And what I've seen from doing these kind of topics on how to make friendships deeper is everybody says they want that, but they're not willing to be the one to take that step. One of the most fascinating pieces of data I did from doing these polls was I said, do you wish other people would reach out to you more about hanging out? And I think it was something like 85% of people said yes. And I was like, so that means most people are just sitting there waiting for someone to text them when you can be the one to text them. And they'll probably say yes, because they're probably waiting for you to do it. So we need to be the ones to kind of take that step, ask people out for coffee, but also be the one that takes that step to make a conversation more intimate, to share about yourself, ask people how they're really doing and make it deeper. Like it's, it's all in our control. We just generally want someone else to be the first one to make that step. When if you do it, it can have that effect on both of you. Why do you think a Christian struggles with this? I think because a lot of Christians have grown up in that shame-based thing where they feel lonely in their struggle. And I think we're getting to a point societally now where talking about mental health issues is just becoming more commonplace. It's becoming more common to say, hey, I have a therapist and have people not judge you. People are becoming more comfortable. But I think because the church and a lot of Christians have this air out there of perfectionism, like when you walk in, like that perfect is the, is the unattainable standard. You feel like when you are vulnerable to another Christian that they'll judge you and not want to be your friend anymore because you struggle with something. And when in reality, they're probably just waiting for someone else to take that first step too. And once you start taking those steps, we can get rid of that kind of that societal expectation of shame and keeping the relationship shallow. Once that's gone, I can only imagine the type of friendships and relationships that can come out of a community like a church where everybody just talks about what they're going through and helps each other out. You have a unique position and also opportunity to answer these next questions because okay. you have, you do get thousands of content interactions. You, you have a pulse on what people are saying and thinking. So in regards to that, what would you say to a youth leader? I would say to a youth leader, this is a good question. I would say to a youth leader to listen more than they speak. I remember being in youth group and I had some really deep struggles at the time. And my youth leaders always said, you can tell me, you can tell me what you're going through. You can share it with me. They would always say it, but I never felt like they walked the walk or intentionally asked me about how I was doing and what I was struggling with. They were always willing to say like, come to me, come to me, but they weren't willing to, to take the one-on-one -on -one time to ask and truly listen to what people were going through. And I hear that a lot. A lot of youth 
pastors get excited and they want to teach and they want to be the, the cool guy or girl who's like leading the charge, who everybody wants to be friends with. When in reality, I feel like their position there is to serve the youth and to go out with like the, there's, there needs to be more mentorship. There needs to be more discipleship. That's intentional. They need to show up to the football games. They need to show up to the dances, you know, or, or the recitals. They need to be in the audience and supporting these kids, but also, you know, taking them out for coffee, learning about their life, really being intentional because if there's one thing the younger generation is craving right now, it is personal interaction and guidance. A lot of them just are not getting it from their parents, especially um, if they're in a more conservative home. Parents are afraid to ask questions from what I learned because they're afraid of the answers. Parents are afraid to ask their child if they're drinking, if they're having sex, if they're doing drugs, you know, things like that, because they're afraid of what their child might tell them. Because what if they say they are? then what do I do? So youth pastors and directors have this beautiful position where they can be that connection and encourage a kid to go to their parents and, and help build those family units just by listening. What would you say to a lead pastor? I would say to a lead pastor, not to be afraid to change the formula. There is nothing biblical or there's nothing in the Bible that says we have to do. Everybody shows up worship, sermon, go home. There are a lot of things we can try. The church is not very willing to take risks and try new things. And I think we need to be more comfortable with that because if you keep the same formula forever, people will get tired of it. And I think we need to find more creative ways to evangelize that are fearless, that are bold, and that are leading the charge instead of following. Would you say that you are evangelical? I don't know. I, I, I hesitate to use that word because that word is becoming like the E word. It's becoming, it's becoming more of a negative and word. I, I, I think, I, I don't know how I would answer that because, you know, it's the same thing. I put it in the same box as the word millennial because mm -hmm. millennial is something that, yes, I am, but it, it's got a lot of negative connotations with it. People don't like to admit that they're millennials because there's so much negative connotation to it. When you might be, you just don't like to admit it. And I think evangelical kind of goes in that same box of like, you know, I, I, I might be, but I don't like to say it because when you do, there's a lot of assumptions that aren't true to me that come along with it. Yes, I, I agree. Okay. So now what would you say to a young Christian? I would say to a young Christian, you need to get out there and challenge yourself. You can't just blindly follow. You have to, I guarantee any young Christian or even any Christian listening to this, I guarantee there's a question in your head that you're afraid to ask. There's a question in there about the Bible, like people who um, do apologetics really well. There are people who do apologetics really well. And I love watching videos like that because it's people who are outside the Christian faith who come in with like their clenched fists ready to have a debate. And they ask these really, really difficult questions. But from what I found, those questions are not strange to a lot of people. They're things we think, but are afraid to say, and you need to get out there and have those, those, those questions answered. Every young Christian out there needs to go to their pastor and say, hey, listen, 
you and I need to go out for coffee and I'm going to ask you some really hard questions. I guarantee you every pastor would be thrilled to do that. Would love to go out with you and hear all your hard questions and help you find the answers. Because like I said before, I am somebody who believes the truth will stand up to to people battling it. The truth will stand up and you need to take those steps to test it. You need to push it. You need to ask those really weird questions that you're afraid to ask because when you find the answers, and I say when, because I know they're true, when you find the answers, your faith will be deeper than you ever imagined. What have you learned from doing all this? I've honestly, it, it might sound redundant to some of the things I've said. I've learned that I need to keep a more open mind towards a lot of things. I'm going to use a, a, a hot button issue and I hope people don't get upset at, at what I'm about to say, but there was a story that came up one time that really impacted me that a woman sent in. So as Christians, I, I said before, we get very stuck in our own beliefs within Christianity and we don't hear a lot of things that are different from what we believe. A while ago, I was doing the topic on abortion and I had people share their stories, pro and con. Obviously, that's a debate that gets very, very heated. But I got a story from a woman that I'll never forget. And she said she was someone who had an abortion when she was 16, before she was a Christian. She goes, I got that abortion with no guilt. I had it, but she goes, when I became a Christian, I learned that I can't talk to Christians about the abortion I had before I'm a Christian. She goes, because before I even walk in the door, right as I walk in the door, the language they use with that is murderer. They use awful people. They use, you know, these terrible, or they, they even talk about child genocide when it comes to abortion. Like when people use language like that, it is not a place where I'm going to feel accepted if I share with them openly that I had an abortion and I regret it. And so she said to this day, her entire women's Bible study has no clue what she's been through. And it made me really think about how do I talk about issues? How do I talk about a lot of these things? And I think a lot of Christians need to self-reflect too, because while that topic is not something I use that like that strong language with, I think there are others that I did. And it made me really question, like, what have I said in front of somebody that they may be struggling with that I then became a person that they would never feel comfortable talking to? I never want to be that person to anybody. I want to be a person that people feel confident that if they tell me something, I'm going to embrace them and walk with them. And I think every Christian should strive for that. And a lot of that starts with how we speak and where our minds are at. So that's something that I've learned is that we need to be a little more self-reflective in a genuine, honest way. And it's really hard to do that. And I think that's important for myself and a lot of Christians to do. Well, Mike, I thank you for taking the time to be on this podcast. And I want to give you opportunity now to plug everything that you do and where they can find <laughs> you and what you offer. Just give it all. Yeah. I, I mean, the easiest way is Christians who curse sometimes on everything. And then um, Christians who curse sometimes.com has some just beautiful testimonies. People have sent in resources. It's got pop culture articles everywhere from film and movie reviews to just totally random fun topics on there. So you can check that out, but kind of the, the main piece is my Instagram page 
If anyone wants to reach out and talk on there, I read every single DM and you can ask me anything on there if you have any questions. Well, Mike, I hope that people become friends because of this podcast. I hope hope so too. I, I hope that people reach out and I thank you for your honesty today. I thank you for what you were doing with Christians who curse sometimes, because I think it is, it's, it's opening, opening pathways to conversations that have been silent way too long and just appreciate you. And thank you so much. You've been listening to rise up with Julie Baumgartner. Thank you for listening today. Rise up and let's be the best that we can be and listen to this podcast that will both motivate and educate. Thank you.